You're listening to the Sabrina Phillip Podcast. In today's episode, I share a CEO confession and reveal the moment my life changed in a green tent. Keep listening. You're listening to the Sabrina Phillip Podcast. In this show, online business coach and self-made millionaire Sabrina Phillip shows you how to do entrepreneurship your way. She moved to Bali with just $800 in her bank account and one year later had scaled her business to seven figures. Sabrina has been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Goldcast, and Cosmopolitan, and is a contributing writer for Entrepreneur. Using her signature intentional, manageable, profitable framework, Sabrina helps women make millions online. Currently living in Scotland with her two doodles, Bonnie and Clyde, tune in each week as she reveals the best tips, tricks, and strategies for creating the intentional life and business of your dreams. Here's your host, Sabrina Phillip. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, we have a CEO confession. My life changed in a green tent. Now I have sent out this story in my CEO confessions newsletter, and I have also posted it on my Instagram. So it's very likely that you have heard this before. However, I think that it would be really powerful for you to hear me actually speak it in my own words. And I almost want this to be a meditation for you. And Think of this as my first ever audiobook. That's how we're going to think of this episode today. So typically when I do these CEO confessions podcasts, what I will do is I will go a little bit deeper and riff on some additional thoughts from what I had written in my email. But for today's episode, I'm going to read it as is, and then I will share some additional thoughts at the end. And my reasoning for this is I think that the writing is really powerful and it's something that I'm very proud of, that it almost feels impossible to change it too much. So I'm going to share it as is, and then I'm going to share some additional thoughts at the end. So stick with me, and here we go. I actually don't know if I've ever told this story. My life changed in a green tent. When I reflect on my life, there was life before this moment and life after. I've heard other people share similar stories. A near-death experience, a revelation, an important conversation. Something happened that just delivered instant clarity that things need to change now, and life was never the same. I've spent nearly eight years documenting my life, lessons, and innermost thoughts for the internet. I dropped to the fear of judgment a long time ago. People are judging me. People are hate-watching me, and I don't care. Still, this is a story I don't think I've ever told, for a few reasons, which I'll share later, but mostly because this is my moment. It is the moment in which everything changed for me. It was deeply healing, but also deeply personal. I had another one of those moments recently where I realized everything was about to change. I think this last year has been a long buildup to that. John Green wrote in The Fault in Our Stars, I fell in love the way you fall asleep, slowly and then all at once. I think that's true of change. It's slow and then it's all at once. You accumulate the bumps and the bruises and the lessons learned, and sometimes you need to keep having the same lessons over and over, and then, all at once, you get it. I had that this year. I went into 2023 thinking I was going to have a baby, and I finished the year an aspiring divorcee. I say aspiring because my divorce is not yet final, but God, I wish it was. There were a lot of lessons learned this year. It was slow going, and then, all at once, just last month, I was like, okay, we're in the green tent again. My life just changed. But let's talk about the green tent. My sophomore year of college, I got kicked out. I had two consecutive semesters of failing all my classes, and I had a medical withdrawal. That basically means that because I was so depressed and there was documentation that I was in therapy and on medication and they believed my academic performance was due to medical reasons, I was able to scratch the semester out as if it never happened. 
It disappeared from my record. However, in the process, my GPA dropped so low that the system automatically kicked me out and I could not come back for the spring semester. I was told that I could come back in the fall after the medical withdrawal was processed and I would be readmitted. But I had to go. Go where is the interesting question here. I remember sitting at the kitchen table with my mom, looking at a computer, trying to figure out what to do next. Interestingly, we looked at a volunteer program in Bali that I could go to for a few months, but my Bali journey would not happen then. She was coming in 2016. Instead, my mom decided and announced to me that I would be going to an ashram to spend a month getting my Yoi teacher certification. Uh, what? You want me to wake up at 5.30 in the morning, chant in Sanskrit, and go live in a tent in an ashram. That's your big idea for how to help your daughter who just got kicked out of college. The wisdom of mothers. A few weeks later, I packed my bags and off I went. I hated it, instantly. All these weirdos walking around in yellow t-shirts and white pants with strange names. I found a spot in the shade and I pitched my green tent. I only had five weeks of this shit and then I was out. The schedule was annoying, but predictable at least. Wake up at 5.30, meditation, chanting, and lecture until 8. Then yoga, brunch at 10, karma yoga for an hour, Bhagavad Gita class, break, how to teach yoga class at 4, dinner at 6, meditation, chanting, and lecture again at 8 or until it finished, usually around 10.30. Weekends, those don't exist. A big part of the yoga teacher certification was personal development. Looking at your own bullshit and your own attachment to ego and self and seeing where you had messed up your own life. There were a lot of tears, just not for me. Every day at lunch, someone was crying because they had some sort of realization or conversation with the teacher and they were processing all that came with it. It felt like a game at that point. The staff were just trying to make us look at our own stuff, crack open and cry. All of the other students were in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and I, the 19-year-old chicky babe who had just been kicked out of college, was not going to break. I spent the time in between classes and meals sitting in my green tent, which actually kind of sucked because it was really hot in there, and I would just do my thing and ignore all the messed up people outside until one day in that stupid green tent, I realized that the messed up person was inside. I thought I was so much smarter and above all the strange crying people outside that I locked myself away. I had been wronged, damn it. My mother should have done more to protect me. My stepfather had been physically abusive. My family didn't show up for me. Everyone sucked. I had been fucked over by other people's failures. So I thought, until I realized, babe, You just got kicked out of college and you're sitting in a green tent in the middle of fucking nowhere, blaming everyone else for your suffering. My prison was of my own making. I built its shiny bars one by one. Victim, rejected, unsupported, ostrich, can't do it, failure, depressed, fucked up. That was me. That was my story. Genius IQ, world-class fuck up. Sitting in a stupid ass green ass tent in the middle of nowhere, reminding myself that I'm so much smarter than the idiots outside but I was too broken from other people's failures, so I would never amount to anything, and it was all my mom's fault. Damn her. Except she wasn't sitting in the green tent. I was. And at 19 years old, how much longer could I blame my mom? There was a moment of instant clarity. Something shifted. I realized that I did this to myself. I had taken on all of these limiting beliefs and stories and just trashed myself because I was so attached to my story. I called my mom and my therapist, and I told them I was done with the Prozac. And this is why I don't like telling the story. I never again took antidepressants and everyone was super worried. Like, what do you mean you're just going to stop? So I want to be super clear. I do not in any way endorse throwing out your medication. You should talk to your doctor. But this is just the truth of my story. Here's what happened next. I showed up for my life. I surrendered to the ashram. I actually paid attention in the lessons. I made friends. I opened up. I was happy. 
and I extended my stay at the ashram and lived there for six months as a member of staff. There was life before and after that moment in the green tent. It felt like a moment of divine intervention. I really don't agree that spiritual awakenings are messy and chaotic. I think there are moments of deep, instant clarity. It's like God comes down and touches that space between your eyebrows and you realize, ah, I'm the asshole. Ah, I did this to myself. Ah, I'm so attached to being right that I forgot to be happy. I carry the ashram with me every day. My spirituality is the most important part of my life. I chant the Bhagavad Gita every night, and every time I get on a plane, I say the Mahamriti Mianjaya mantra. I whisper it over Bonnie and Clyde on their birthdays and when they're sick. I believe in reincarnation and that a human birth is rare. In the Amrita Bindu Upanishad, it says, Mana eva manushyanam karanam bandam mokshayo, bandaya vishayashaktam muktam nirvishayam smritam. This translates to, As the mind, so the person. Bondage or liberation are in your own mind. This is the lesson I learned in the green tent. This is the moment my life changed. Realizing that I bound myself, I wrote my story and I built my prison. And the nice thing about that is that if you're the one who builds the cage, then you're the one who decides when it's time to leave. So I did. I staged a prison break and took control of my life. I decided that absolutely everything that happened to me was my responsibility to navigate and shape to my will. That doesn't mean bad things happening to me were my fault. To be clear, you do not manifest trauma. But it did mean it was my responsibility to heal and move forward. And what happened next blew my mind. I moved overseas, built a multi-million dollar business, and was featured in Forbes at 23. Not bad for a girl who got kicked out of college. Last month, I had another one of those moments where I realized life was never going to be the same. In an instant, I was changed. It's been building to this for a while, and then the clarity dropped in and I realized, ah, it's time. I want that for you. I want you to feel deeply, truly rooted in your power. I want you to know that you are limitless, that you can do, be, and have anything you want in this life. I want you to feel so grounded and centered that when you're coaching your clients and showing up online, you just feel like you're channeling some higher wisdom and sharing your truth unapologetically. It doesn't have to be so hard. It really does get to be easy. As a result of my divorce, I've made some big changes in my business. And when I say some changes, I really just mean that everything has changed. My team, my programs, my branding. Why? It's time to go deeper. Girl boss Sabrina is dead. I'm done with the bumper sticker slogans, the hot pink rah-rah, and the bigger is better attitude. My mission? To sit with you in the green tent. To help women remember who the fuck they are. To truly teach the foundational skills of building a business. Sales, marketing, launching, and leadership. To get a little woo and remind you of your God-given power. To have the deep conversations that will actually make a difference in your life. To really be with you in it. Over the last few years, the coaching industry has valued scaling and serving as many people as possible. And I think an unfortunate consequence of that is that clients really get thrown to the wolves and told to figure it out on their own. A lot of coaches know how they made it big, but they don't really know how to teach that to anyone else other than to say, mindset. I've helped over two dozen women scale to seven figures and hundreds scale to six figures. I know this and I love this and I teach this and I would love to partner with you in your business, but I want you to know that if you decide to work with me, we're not just going to be talking about money. Sure, that's great, but are you happy? Do you trust yourself? Do you feel connected to something bigger than yourself? Do you feel confident in your ability to lead yourself, your team, and your clients? Do you know how to effectively articulate your thoughts and create content that truly changes lives? Do you feel proud of your home life? Do you feel proud of yourself? Divorce was a great clarifier for me. It brought a lot into focus. I remember waking up in the big pretty house with the shiny happy pictures on the wall 
and looking at my lovely prison, wondering how on earth did I get here? Sometimes your prison is a green tent, and sometimes it's a picture-perfect marriage in a European townhouse. That's the beauty of life. You're going to keep learning the same lessons over and over again until you get it. Radical responsibility, authenticity, and ownership only. Anything else that's not you, let it burn. So, that is my CEO confession for you. My life changed in a green tent. So additional thoughts or takeaways. One, it is always so stressful when I have to speak or chant in Sanskrit. So please no one insult my pronunciation. I thought it was quite good, actually. Um, So that's thought number one. Thought number two is it's really, I remember that moment so clearly and so vividly. And I think I maybe want to talk a little bit more about how I was like at the ashram So when I got there, I truly just thought it was the dumbest idea my mom had ever had in her entire life. And I was so pissed off and just disconnected. And I would just like sit in the back of classes and I would buy other books at the gift store. And so I would like hide the book with my yellow manual, my yoga teacher manual. And I mean, the books were yoga books. They were interesting. Like I would read the Mahabharata or something, but I just really was not that interested or that engaged Everyone around me, it was just like divorced, sad, depressed, like something had brought them there. There was a loss. And I was just like, these people are so fucked up. Like there was so much judgment. And I was just looking at everyone else and judging everyone else that I just didn't have this awareness of how I had done this to myself because I could look at them and be like, I can see how you fucked your life up. But for me, I was like, But everyone else did it to me, right? So my mom did it to me. My stepfather did it to me. I couldn't have that moment of self-awareness or clarity. And I had a teacher. His name was Pranava. And Pranava was the tallest German man ever. He was like 6'5", skinny as a reed, very, very German. And he came up to me one day and he said, you have the biggest ego I've ever seen. And that was the moment that I broke. And what Pranava meant by that, because the Eastern concept of ego is different from Western. So when we talk about ego in the West, we're very much talking about this idea of arrogance and being egotistical and just being so self-centered and self-absorbed. In the East, this concept of ego is really this idea of separateness and of seeing yourself as outside of everything. So if you believe in a lot of Eastern religions, which I do. I've been a practitioner of Advaita Vedanta philosophy for 12 years now. There's this belief that within us, we have this soul, this Atman, which is the same as Brahman, which Brahman is this colorless, nameless, odorless, formless, divine higher power being that lives within all of us. And that what's inside of me is the same. And that everything that I see outside of me is just a reflection of me. And so when he said you have the biggest ego I've ever seen, he means you are just completely separated from God. You are just completely separated from reality. You think you're this special little princess that nobody gets or nobody understands, when in reality, it's all the same. And so I think that moment really landed for me. And um, I get a little bit upset thinking about this because my friend Pranava, my teacher, who when I stayed as a member of staff for six months and I would keep going back to the ashram during the holidays to support as a member of staff, he actually passed away um, about a year ago. So he was at the ashram 
Um, and he was swimming in the water and he got hit by a jet ski and he passed away. So I remember being um, at his uh, funerary puja at like three in the morning and Clyde was sitting in my lap and he was just such a good boy. But that was a moment that really, you know, stuck with me forever. I also had a dear friend, Martin, who Martin, he was so funny. I would sit in my tent and it was so fucking hot because I don't know if it was the fact that the tent was green or just it's so hot outside, but it felt like all the heat just got attracted and I was like baking in there. And so Martin was quite social. He was Austrian and he was an artist and he would go collect shells and he would leave them outside my tent and he would come to me and he would ask if I wanted to go for a walk or if I wanted to go do something. And I would just kind of sit in my tent quite grumpy. And eventually after that conversation with Pranava, um, I left the tent and Martin and I would, you know, go for walks and go do things. And I stayed as a member of staff for six months. I think he stayed for maybe two months. Um, he would do all sorts of crazy projects. I remember one time he had a bunch of ducks living with him at his apartment in New York City and he took a picture and he sent it to my house and, you know, he would go live with the sheep and go be a sheep herder in the Alps or, you know, he would grow grass on Persian rugs. He would just do all sorts of crazy things. And he also passed away a couple of years ago. And, um, I don't, I don't know why that keeps happening. I don't know what the lesson is there. Maybe it's just a reminder that, you know, life is so fragile. I don't think that God takes people away to teach you a lesson. I just want to clarify that. But I do think that there is, you know, a reminder there for me of just, how blessed I am and how privileged and precious it has been to have such wonderful people in my life who are willing to say the hard things, but also who are willing to leave shells outside my tent and to keep trying and to keep coming back and just to be kind. And this is something that has always stayed with me. I don't talk about my spiritual beliefs too much just because it's hard to explain. It's hard to get. Um, I also get that it's super weird to some people that, you know, the little 29 year old, soon to be 30 year old chicky babe from Miami beach, Florida, um, identifies with Advaita Vedanta philosophy. And that's just how I am. One more moment that I'll share. One story that I'll share is at the end of my yoga teacher training, you have this opportunity to be initiated into a mantra if you so choose. And I was choosing between Om I'm Saraswati Namaha um, or Om Namo Narayanaya. And I was going back and forth between these two. And I was very fortunate that Krishnadas, who is a wonderful uh, musician, they call him the rock star of yoga. He performed at the Grammys. Uh, my favorite song by him is Sri Argala Stocham, which I will tag in the show notes. And he played um, his song Om I'm Saraswati. Namaha. I think the song itself is maybe just called Sarasvati on his album, but that for me was a really beautiful moment um, because he doesn't normally play that song ever in his concerts. And I've seen him a few times. I've seen him um, at the ashram. I've seen him in Hong Kong. And so that was really wonderful for me. But then the next day when I got initiated into that mantra, what happens is that the monk, the Swami, which is a Hindu monk who initiates you into that mantra, I think there are maybe only two other people, one other person who chose that mantra. And he basically will then meditate on you and you're given a spiritual name. And a lot of the spiritual names will be things like Vishnu, uh, Krishna, Durga, Lakshmi. And they are very well-known 
Hindu gods and goddesses. And then on the back of my yoga teacher certification, it said Vani Devi. And so I asked my friend and teacher who at that time was a Brahmachari Shankara, and he's now Swami Kashi Muktananda. And he really took me under his wing. So I went to, at the time, Shankara, now Swami Kashi. And I said, what is this? Because no one knew what the name was. We're all looking at it, trying to figure it out. And Vani Devi means goddess of speech. So it comes from Sadasvati, one of her forms. Uh, one of the things that she is the goddess of is, you know, obviously music, arts, and learning, but also speech. So it comes from the Sanskrit word vak, which to me, that just felt really incredible and powerful that a monk who has never spoken to me and knows nothing about me would channel for me that spiritual name of goddess of speech, Mani Devi. So when I'm at the ashram, when I'm in spiritual communities, people call me Vani Devi. Um, it's spelled V-A-N-I space D-E-V-I. So Devi is goddess and Vani is the speech part. But that also, I think for me, was just a really powerful moment, I think, to be seen in that way, especially now that here I am telling you the story and that I speak on stages and I have a podcast and I have a business. And I think it's such a good reminder again, this will be my last thought that we all have these gifts within us. And if we can get out of our own way, and if we can get past our bullshit, our pain can be our power. And we can take the ways in which we have been hurt and struggling and suffering and really turn that into healing for others. There is this story that my therapist told me. I was on a spiritual retreat with her for about six days um, back in October, where I don't know if it was a Buddhist story or if it's from the Kabbalah or what it is, but basically the idea is that when your soul is up in heaven, there is a gift that you are meant to give to the world. And when you come into this world, you forget it. So let's say you wanted to be the gift of compassion and you come into this world and you forgot that you are going to have lessons and you are going to have experiences that teach you compassion. So people who are not compassionate to you, those moments, those experiences where you really needed that, that is where you develop that gift. So for me as a child and as a young person, I often felt as though my voice was stripped away. I often felt as though my power and my ability to communicate was stripped away and just my potential, which is why I had this, you know, line about how genius IQ world-class fuck up and just really feeling like a victim and like I couldn't do it and I couldn't be myself. And so I had all of these experiences with physical abuse and sexual trauma and things like that, that eventually I was able to take that pain, I believe, and now I'm using it to speak and share my story and hopefully provide some healing and comfort to others. So maybe the gift that I was supposed to share on this planet when I came into this life is truth. Maybe I'm here just to share and speak my truth and share my story and trust that stories shared in safe spaces eliminate shame, create connection, create healing, and I get to be a permission slip for other people. I don't know. Life is still lifing and we'll find out. But that is my CEO confession for you. I hope that this episode was helpful. I think it might be my favorite one that I've ever recorded. And I will see you in the next one. <laughs>